0: Hello and welcome to Cover Your Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George.
1: And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing The Borrowers and The Secret World of Arrietty. The Borrowers was written by Mary Norton and published in 1952.
0: And the film, which was directed by Hiromasa Yonebayashi, came out in 2010.
1: And here we are discussing one of the classics of children's literature, We're here with the Borrowers.
0: Is it really that, like, high up there? Yeah.
1: Uh, This is, like, probably one of the all-time most enduring children's books. Wow, okay. Um, Published in the UK originally and then in America. And then the author, Mary Norton, would go on to publish four additional books Mm -hmm. about the Borrowers. It was a wildly popular series. Um, There have been multiple movie adaptations, um TV series adaptations. There was a really really iconic for me anyway, BBC <laughs> adaptation that starred Ian Holm as Pod. Okay. And I actually grew up watching that cuz our local library had them on VHS, so we would rent nice. them nice. from the library and my sister and I would watch them and this was our introduction To the world of the borrowers. And this was just so fascinating to us as kids. Um, And speaking of my sister, this is a patron request. My sister, Annette, Mm -hmm. our patron, requested this episode. (laughs) And since she's a patron, I have to do it. Not because she's my sister, although I might eventually do it, but because she's a patron, we're doing the episode. We show
0: no special privilege to family (laughs) members or anyone else. It's all money, baby. It's only money. Whoever forks over the cash (laughs) is family to
1: us. (laughs) Just kidding. I love you, Annette. But yeah, this uh, has a lot of nostalgia for us. I don't think Annette ever read the books, but I did read the books after we had watched uh, the BBC adaptation
0: yeah I had no familiarity with this as movies or miniseries or books uh so it was kind of like all new to me so in terms of it's like impact and you know uh standing within children's literature, I wasn't sure like how highly it ranked, Mm -hmm. so to speak. So that's interesting to hear like how I mean, there's been so many adaptations of it, I, I know. So I shouldn't be surprised that the book was like wildly popular.
1: Yeah, speaking of additional like adaptations, we are talking here about the Studio Ghibli adaptation of it. But there are a bunch more. And so we are gonna at least watch one of them, which is the Movie adaptation that came out in the 90s, I think it has Jim Broadbent in it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I remember it being horrific, (laughs) but I'm eager to watch it with you and do a bonus episode.
0: Yeah, because here's the thing. I was like super excited to watch the Ghibli version because like they're so known for their detail and like, you know, and so I'm like, that's perfect for this world where like the world of the borrowers is full of like interesting little objects. Mm -hmm. But I was also like, it'd be really interesting to see a real life adaptation and like, all the props and like the yeah. production value of it, and like kind of seeing how they bring you into that world too. So, yeah, I'm sure the special effects, though, when they're used, <laughs> are probably quite terrible.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, you'll just have to wait and see if you're a patron, and if not, maybe think about becoming a patron to get access to that bonus episode. But if anybody knows where I can watch the BBC. Ian Holm version of this. I would love to watch it again. I couldn't find it when I was looking for it. Even my library system didn't have it. So yeah, hit me up if you know where I can watch this because... <laughs>
0: I, I can meet you in a dark alley or whatever. Like, Let's
1: exchange some details, yeah. you know? Let's make the exchange here. <laughs> um, yeah, but I would love to watch this series again because I have such great uh, memories of it. And if you're into Studio Ghibli, just a little reminder that we've done two other Studio Ghibli episodes.
0: Yeah, we've done uh, Howl's Moving Castle, which was news to me when we did that, that it was uh, a book. And we also did uh, Mm Nausicaä of the Valley of the Wind, which was based on a manga that Miyazaki did himself. Yeah. So it's interesting because the manga for that is like obviously very faithful in a lot of ways, but also the manga is like, what, nine volumes? Yeah. And the film, like tried to do pretty much all of it in like one movie. So they are very different. So both are interesting episodes in their own way. Yeah.
1: So go back and uh, listen to those if you have a chance. But I guess we should actually start talking about this episode, Ian.
0: Yeah, let's get into it. So starting off with the book. Yeah. The book begins with kind of this really interesting framing device for the whole story, Mm -hmm. which is a young girl named Kate, who is helping an older woman named Mrs. May. May. Yeah like, work on a quilt. Mm-hmm. I kind of forget the relationship. I think
1: she's, like, a great aunt or something.
0: Yeah. But wait, is it someone else telling this story? It's someone Kate told this story to, right? I
1: don't know. It's, it's a little confusing. At the very
0: beginning, she says Kate is hardly a character. So it's yeah. someone that Kate told this story, and Kate is hearing it from Mrs. May. Yes. <laughs> and it starts off with Kate, like, having lost or misplaced her sewing needle. Yeah. And Mrs. May being like, oh, I wonder if it was the borrowers.
1: And she's like, who were the borrowers? And
0: then she's like, well, I was told about the borrowers from my <laughs> brother. So we're it's like, like
1: a fifth hand tale. Yeah,
0: we're like eight layers deep <laughs> into this now. But I do like right off the bat kind of getting the the context for this story where the woman says my brother when he was younger was recovering from an illness Mm -hmm. and uh went to live with our aunt in the country to kind of like recover his strength for a while yeah and he was kind of a mischievous kid he would often tell us like tall tales and Mm -hmm. and big stories and so like I never really believed anything he told us. Yeah. But maybe this story was true because he almost seemed to believe it more. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of this like air of mystery around it. Like, is this a real story or not?
1: Yeah, I think it creates a good amount of suspense and mystery surrounding the borrowers. Like they could, they could exist, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's possible. Have you really searched every single house?
0: Yeah. And it kind of gives a really strong argument at the beginning where I love Kate is like, uh, how do factories that make pins stay in business? Yes. People always are losing pins. Mm-hmm. Where do they all go? <laughs> like, yeah. isn't it weird that we just keep buying this thing that like we shouldn't be needing more of? Yes. And you know, the idea being that the borrowers are taking them.
1: Mm-hmm. This is something my mom would say to us all the time. Really? After we watch <laughs> the borrowers, she's like, oh, did the borrowers take them? It is something that like
0: in your head, even if you haven't really <laughs> had that thought necessarily, you're like, Would I notice Mm -hmm. if stuff like that was like disappearing?
1: Yeah, and the movie doesn't have this frame narrative at all, but we do get a little bit of a voiceover from the boy in the story who is the main character in you know both the book and the movie. In the book, he's just called the boy. We never get his name. Okay,
0: I was wondering about that. And
1: in the movie, he's called Sean, at least in the English-dubbed version of <laughs> yes. uh, The Secret World of Arrietty. So we get in the movie um, Sean's voiceover kind of talking about you know, being sick and being sent to the country um, to live with his aunt for a while. And so a similar situation of this boy entering this house.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the uh, the setup of the book, because then we even like it takes us a bit to get the boy's perspective or for the boy to be back in the story, because then immediately it's like. Okay, so anyway, in this house he was living in, there were little people called borrowers. Yes. And here's their whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a family, at least this this family of borrowers, mm-hmm. is a family of three. There's the father, Pod, the mother, Homily, and their daughter, Arietti.
1: And their last name is Clock because their uh, hole that exits their house is under a clock. But their house is actually under the kitchen.
0: Yeah, it's kind of, so there's this, like, network of pathways mm-hmm. from, like, the entrance to where they actually live and there's like different kinds of gates that the dad has made with like bobby pins and Yeah. And it's interesting because he kind of says like, oh, it's to keep mice out, even though mice aren't like really a threat. Mm-hmm. But really it might be more to keep certain people inside. I know,
1: as I was reading this, I'm like, is this a horror story? Like <laughs> <A> <laughs> it's literally bit. like all these ways that Arietti and Homily cannot escape
0: their house i really love how many stories there are of the idea of like a person being confined to a small space and them accepting that as their entire world yeah and you know obviously that being like a much larger philosophical question like even for people who aren't locked in their houses but i think of like room yes and uh and then you could like Expand that to like the Matrix and other movies, but mm-hmm. like for years, people have thought of this idea of what if you thought this confined space was like everything
1: your mm. entire reality. And Arietti does have a little, they call it a grating, it's literally like just a tiny grate that she can look out of and see the outside. It's not big enough for her to fit through. No. But she can kind of see the garden and see the world outside and know that it exists. And she's around 13 or 14 years old in this story and is starting to get kind of restless and wanting more from her life. Um, but I do want to read a little bit of this portion because I feel like the book really like sets us up right at the beginning with kind of this sense of scale and excitement and really getting us into their world so i'm going to skip around a little bit but i'm going to talk at the beginning of chapter two which is when we first meet pod and the borrowers it was pod's hole the keep of his fortress the entrance to his home not that his home was anywhere near the clock far from it as you might say there were yards of dark and dusty passageway with wooden doors between the joists and metal gates against the mice Pod used all kinds of things for these gates, a flat leaf of a folding cheese grater, the hinged lid of a small cash box, squares of pierced zinc from an old meat safe, a wire fly swatter. Not that I'm afraid of mice, Homily would say, but I can't abide the smell. In vain, Arietti had begged for a little mouse of her own, a little blind mouse to bring up by hand, like Egl- Tina had had. Uh, so I'm just going to like skip ahead a little bit. It was only Pod who knew the way through the intersecting passages to the hole under the clock and only Pod could open the gates. There were complicated clasps made of hairpins and safety pins, of which Pod alone knew the secret. His wife and child led more sheltered lives in home-like apartments under the kitchen, far removed from the risks and dangers of the dreaded house above. above. And then I'm going to move a little bit of ahead and talk about uh, their house a little bit. Arietti wandered through the open door into the sitting room. Ah, the fire had been lighted, and the room looked bright and cozy. Homily was proud of her sitting room. The walls had been papered with scraps of old letters out of waste paper baskets, and Homily had arranged the handwriting sideways, in vertical stripes which ran from floor to ceiling. On these walls, repeated in various colors, hung several portraits of Queen Victoria as a girl. These were postage stamps, borrowed by Pod some years ago from the stamp box on a desk in the morning room. There was a lacquered trink box, trinket box, padded inside and with the lid open, which they used as a settle, and that useful standby, a chest of drawers made of matchboxes. There was a round table with a velvet, red velvet cloth, which Pod had made from the wooden bottom of a pillbox, supported on the carved pedestal of a knight from the chess set. The night itself, its bust, so to speak, stood on a column in the corner where it looked very fine and lent that air to the room, which only statuary can give. <laughs> so that's just like kind of a, a snippet of the story and like the setting. And I really think uh, Mary Norton really creates a scene oh really well. Oh my God, well. yeah, so and well. Just describing like all the little things that they use for their house.
0: Yeah, all of the details and like even how they like rearrange things and make things and like how... Mm-hmm. At one point I think they said they made like a hairbrush out of a toothbrush, like an old yeah. toothbrush, the bristles and uh and you know it's funny, most of it still translates and reads well, even though this was written when in the
1: fifties. In the
0: fifties. But there are the occasional mentions of like something being made from an old meat safe.
1: Yeah, and, and you're I'm like, like, What? What is a
0: meat safe? <laughs>
1: that's there's, where you go when you don't want people to steal your meat, you yes,
0: know. obviously, <laughs> <laughs> not refrigerated. Who cares? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's like several mentions of things, though, that have kind of, like over the years have become obviously like out of fashion. You're like, I don't know what this thing is, Yeah, but it even kind of adds to the time and place, though,
1: yeah. and it feels quaint and cute, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, so we have this little setup. They've got this cozy house. um, but at this time, in the book, at least, pod has been seen
0: yes which is like the greatest sin or i shouldn't say sin but kind of almost the worst thing that could happen to a borrower yes which is when they're out among the house which i don't know if we like specifically said what this is but basically they steal things that they need yeah either to furnish their home or just kind of little luxuries but mostly like food supplies necessities like that so when pod was out getting a teacup for his wife, he was spotted on the <laughs> curtains by the boy because they didn't even know there was a boy in the house or anything yeah. like that. And the boy seemed to be like totally helpful and chill and was like, oh, let me get that for you. And, like <laughs> Nothing happened. Yeah. But they are always saying like humans are dangerous and unpredictable. And like, um, even if they don't hurt you, they might get like a cat if mm-hmm. they think there's an infestation of something. So
1: yes, this brings up Eggletina. Whose fate has been hinted at before, but Pod and Homily discuss how um, Pod's brother and his wife had a daughter, Egeltina, and they didn't tell her that there was a world outside where they lived. <laughs> yep. So this is going back to that discussion we were having about yeah. thinking that this tiny space is your whole universe. So they kind of didn't tell her about the world above, and they also didn't tell her that her father had been seen And because her father had been seen, the humans did get a cat. Egeltina was like, I don't believe that this is my reality. And so she snuck out and then they never saw her again. And the assumption is that the cat ate her. Yeah.
0: Which is pretty (laughs) fucking metal. Yeah,
1: it's pretty horrific. (laughs) It
0: is. Uh, So, yeah, the stakes are like very high in this story in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways in terms of like life or death. And even though like Arietti has like a general idea of like the world above and what her dad does when he goes borrowing. Like they decide to like sit her down and kind of like explain it more thoroughly.
1: Yeah. And they also want to tell her that he's been seen because if they get a cat, they want her to be aware because Eggletina had no idea. Right. Um, So they do, they sit her down and during this discussion, they're like, we have to be even more careful. I don't know if we should go out as much anymore. And Ariadne kind of breaks down and it's just like, my life is really boring.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she is like, I want to go borrowing. Like, I want to be out there. And at, mm-hmm. at first is it like, no way. Like, I, I'm capable of doing it on my own. But it's actually Homily who kind of convinces him otherwise. She kind yeah. of says like, listen, if anything happened to you or both of us, like, Arietti needs to be able to like get by on her own mm-hmm. and also like if she's able to help you we might not have to leave because of the boy yeah seeing you so it's, it's she's like kind of doing it a little bit for selfish reasons but, yeah but really she you know does seem to be wanting uh Arietti to be happier and mm-hmm. you know being out in the world where she seems to enjoy things
1: yeah so at this point in the book they're like okay well next time pod goes borrowing uh, Arietti will go with him. Uh, Let's talk about the movie a little bit because we begin uh, differently. We see the boy coming into the house. He is walking through the garden. There's a cat. There's a crow. And there's maybe a cute tiny girl in the
0: garden. (laughs) Yes. That he spots for maybe a moment. Yeah. And we follow the tiny girl who is Mm Arietti as she is returning home with her bay leaf leaf and (laughs) and her other herb. Mm Mm-hmm. Kind of like narrowly escaping the cat. Yeah. Here's the thing is that like, and I feel this way about the book too, is that like the whole borrowing inside the house seems like this big dangerous thing. Yeah. But I'm like, I feel like it's way more dangerous for her to be outside. Absolutely. Where there's a cat and just like (laughs) wild animals and she's just like- I know. A field mouse.
1: Exactly. And in this version, so in the movie, Arietti just
0: comes and goes outside
1: all the time. There is a similar grading Great situation um under the house, but Arietti is like the grate is big enough, or Arietti is small enough that she can fit through it. So you know she's just popping in and out. She's bringing in herbs for her mom. Her mom is like, whatever, you can go and come and go as you please. But at this point, Arietti has not gone borrowing inside the house yet. Let's talk about their uh home setup in the movie though. Their,
0: their dwelling. Yeah. I really love this because it feels very Ghibli, right? Definitely. Whereas like the book house is under the floorboards of the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And it feels like very cozy and quaint, but like confined. There's like yeah. essentially one window. But in the film version, their house is kind of like situated within a pile of bricks. Yeah. Under the kind of under the foundation of the home. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of in this like crawl space under the house, but like it feels like it's within nature, right?
1: Yeah, there's crickets down there. Yeah. There's little like bugs and insects and like plants growing. It is very, a lot more connected to nature. Like Arieti is
0: free to come and go. And yeah, this just feels like classic Ghibli. Ghibli is so always like, Integrating nature into their stories, whether thematically or just mm-hmm. like visually, yeah. So this felt like very like a very uh, obvious change for them to make.
1: Yeah, they have a fake window, which is just a picture. Of, like, an ocean scene and then yeah. a picture of a night scene. I, it was just so funny to kind of notice this and realize that, oh, like, oh, yeah, it can't be a window. Like, yeah, it has to be like just a picture. Looking out
0: over the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, just, I mean, all the details within their home, all these, like, matte paintings of this. Like, uh, I, I spotted, uh, I'm sure you did too, the night. Yes. The bust of the night that is mentioned in the book, but also just, like, oh, a spool of yarn for a stool. Like at one point you see uh, Pod's workshop, mm-hmm. which is just full of like large pieces of tools. And yeah, it's just like there's so much rich detail just in every shot.
1: Yeah, it was definitely like perfect for a Ghibli adaptation. Yeah. yeah.
0: So at this point, Arrietty, uh, as we're introduced to her in the film, you know, was out running around outside, but we're told that that night is going to be her first night getting to borrow with mm-hmm. her dad.
1: Yeah. And in the book, it's, you know, a different situation, but the same setup where it's going to be like her first night going out borrowing with Pod.
0: Yeah. So and uh, her parents and, and the version that we watched, which is the Walt Disney mm-hmm. American voice acted version, Amy Poehler and Will Arnett play yeah. uh, the parents, <laughs> which interestingly enough, this version, I think from what I read, this dub came out in 2012. Okay. And this was the year that Will Arnett and Amy Poehler uh, divorced. Oh
1: my god!
0: And so I don't know when they did the voice acting or yeah. like when any of this happened, but like it was just funny because I'm like, oh, they were married at one point. <laughs> I'm like, I wonder where this like fell in yeah in that the time timeline. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny too because like both of them have had a career in voice acting, but like Will Arnett has especially known for like BoJack Horseman now.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: But, like, he is so subdued in this role. Yeah. I think he's, like, kind of perfect for it. He does great with just, like, the single...
1: Monosyllable, yeah. <laughs>
0: Grant, Grant responses. He's a typical Ghibli man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> reminds me of the baker husband. Yes, and, the
1: baker husband. In Kiki's, Kiki's Delivery Kiki's, Service. Yeah. <laughs>
0: who, like, I think...
1: Says nothing? Yeah,
0: maybe has one line. <laughs>
1: That's what we like to see in a man. (laughs) Yes.
0: Quiet. Kind of, not a himbo, but like similar energy, you know? Yeah.
1: Very supportive, but in a quiet way.
0: Just like a brick of a man who's there to help his (laughs) wife and like contribute nothing verbally.
1: (laughs) And then, of course, we get homily, you know, by Amy Poehler in this American voice acted version. And she's just always like, oh my gosh, I hope everybody's okay. Like, oh, oh no, like what's happening?
0: <laughs> and just like their character designs are so well matched. Like yeah. her hair is kind of frizzled. She's kind of... um thin and the kind yeah, of like wiry. Wiry, yeah, like mm-hmm. w- while Pod is just kind of like I said, a like solid man. A, a block of a man who <laughs> says hardly anything. Uh but let's get into their their night of borrowing.
1: Yeah, I love this might be my favorite part of the movie. It's
0: so good. Like,
1: you know, Pod takes her out into these passageways between their house and the rest of the bigger house. And there are these, like, nails that are kind of, like, steps over this, like, dark cavern below them. Yeah. And then there, they're, it looks like there are these heavy-duty staples that they're climbing like up. Like a
0: ladder. Yeah. They're up inside the walls. They kind of have, like, different, like, kind of, like, secret entryways. Like, maybe they'll yeah. pull the plate off of a light. Yes. Uh, or a um power outlet mm-hmm. to kind of, like, sneak back into the wall. Yeah. It's just, like, all these details. And they never make it, like overly exciting or anything like no Arrietty, like never almost falls. falls or anything like that <laughs> like it's just kind of fascinating to watch and it's that craft that Ghibli is so good at
1: definitely and it definitely it feels like it was made right because all these yeah. nails all these like there's like a ruler I think at one point that they like walk up you know yeah um but I love the scene where when they enter the kitchen and Arietti first enters the wide open spaces of being in the human house because like the sound design yeah. and the visual of it is really cool like she's kind of in shock
0: yeah and this yeah like you said the sound design like this cavernous mhm and, and conveying that visually is so I'm sure difficult because you're just showing what many people see every day of like yeah. a normal kitchen space, but you're trying to give it the scale of if you were tiny mm-hmm. and it being like overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, but they do such a good job of communicating all of that. It
1: is. It's really great. Uh, Pod gets a sugar cube yes. from uh, the sugar jar and Arrietty put He puts it in her pack and then they head upstairs to get some tissues
0: Yes. But
1: unfortunately Arietti is
0: seen by the boy as he's laying in bed Mm -hmm. and at first it's like is he asleep with his eyes open i know it's very creepy it is super unsettling (laughs) the first of several unsettling encounters (laughs) with the boy (laughs) in the film but like they sneak away and he's like talking to them as they go and he's like oh it was you i saw in the garden wasn't it
1: yeah he's like don't be afraid but in a creepy way yeah don't be afraid don't be
0: afraid come back Come within reaching distance. Come within grabbing distance. <laughs> Come within distance.
1: swatting distance. <laughs>
0: uh, so this is kind of like a a, a huge problem now. And also Arietti has to tell her dad like, yeah, he might have seen me when I was out in the yard earlier.
1: Yeah. And they decide not to tell Homily for now.
0: Yeah. There is one thing I want to point out here that I was like maybe a little disappointed in with this adaptation is when they're leaving – or at some point in this story, she finds a... Oh, she um, drops
1: the sugar cube. We forgot. To oh, yes. That. She yeah. drops
0: the sugar cube when they're seen. Yeah. Uh, And I figured if it's like on their way out or partway through, she discovers a pin. Yeah. I forget what kind you call that with like the ball at the end.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And the dad is like, oh, you're first borrowing. And, and she kind of like sticks it in her own dress, but like yeah. almost like a sword that you would like sheath.
1: Uh-huh. And I
0: loved that detail. And also when they're in the walls earlier he's they see rats at the bottom and he's yeah. like you don't want to like run into them mm-hmm. and i'm like okay she's gonna have to like fight off some rats <laughs> with her with need- her sword with her needle sword yeah and like nothing like that ever happens i was <laughs> like a little bummed i wish it had like maybe done a little bit more fantasy adventure yeah kind of stuff like that like mm-hmm. i mean i'm all here for like the the quaint ghibli yeah and i love that but it felt like it was kind of setting up the potential of like a little an bit an
1: epic story. A little bit
0: more of a swashbuckling, mm-hmm. dangerous kind of situation like that, especially with her like having a sword like the whole story basically and almost never getting to use it.
1: Yeah. I mean she does use it to free homily.
0: I know. I, I was thinking about it that that's like the one time she uses yeah, it. I yeah. just mean like she has it the whole time. Yeah. And that just felt like a setup for something that just never happened.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: Let's get uh, back into the book now, though, with Arietti's first borrowing experience in, in that version.
1: Yeah, and there's a little bit of a difference here because they go borrowing during the day.
0: Yeah, which kind of seems like. like against- why would they do that? <laughs> yeah, I never really thought about that. Actually, Yeah,
1: well, and here's the thing in the book, the house is made up of. Uh, an older woman who owns the home who's bedridden right yes and then her housekeeper and then like a gardener i think i think that's crampful yeah yeah or whatever and then this boy so like i'm guessing usually the house is pretty quiet during the day but the housekeeper would probably be around
0: yeah it's like a lot more risk to go out especially for something that feels like it could have like they could have gotten it at any point yeah I think, right?
1: Yeah, they go out during the day, um, and Arrietty, uh is allowed to go actually outside into the garden. Pod's like, yeah, go ahead. Which,
0: once again, <laughs> I'm like, that seems way more dangerous to I know, send I know, I feel her- like
1: a bird is just going to swoop down,
0: pick yes. her up, and carry her away. I'm like, this seems like way worse than her <laughs> being inside and near you. He's like, oh yeah, run around, have fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so while he's there, he's getting bristles from the... Uh, which maybe they're getting it from the outdoor mat. I thought it was oh, inside, yeah. mm-hmm. but if it was, but he's with that. He's not within eyesight though of what's going on. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, while he's busy working, uh, Ariadne's outside, and whoops, there's just a whole ass human boy there <laughs> that she like didn't see. Yeah, and she's been seen. Yep,
1: and she ends up talking with the boy. Though it's interesting that in the book we never find out his name. Yeah. Um but they're just talking and the boy is like, "Oh, I saw your dad before." And like kind of figures out that they're a family. He's very curious about if there are more of them, where they live, what what's going on with them. Um and this is just like one of the funniest scenes to me because <laughs> the boy is clearly like this is weird, right? And yeah. the the girl is like and Arietti is basically just like, "Oh, well, humans are dying out, right?" <laughs> And the boy's like, what?
0: Yeah, this whole discussion is just so funny because, (laughs) first of all, I love this depiction of the boy in the book version because he does feel like a 10-year-old boy. Yeah. Like, he'll say things that, like, seem intentionally mean Mm because he's, like, kind of lashing out because he's, like, a 10-year-old boy, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or, like, kind of being uh, juvenile or whatever. And meanwhile, Arietti's kind of being, like, a little pompous. Yeah. And and she's 14 in the story. So even Mm -hmm. though she's, like, just tiny compared to him. I think she has this like age superiority where she's like, well, I really know how the world (laughs) works.
1: Yeah. And in her mind, um, there couldn't possibly be tons of humans because they're so big and they require so many supplies that the world (laughs) could not possibly have enough materials to keep them
0: alive. Yes. And the boy counters with like, well, I've seen like thousands of humans, even in my like." short life yeah. and I've only seen like a handful of borrowers and you say there aren't any others that live with you currently you've only yeah. heard of others maybe you're the ones who are dying out <laughs> and she's like oh shit
1: yeah and this this begins a discussion um where they're, they're talking about whether humans or borrowers are dying out she describes what borrowers are and again I just have to like read a little portion of this because Arietti is so funny and like smug and <laughs> yes. in, a, in a very silly way "'Borrowing,' the boy said after a while. "'Is that what you call it?' "'What else would you call it?' asked Arietti. "'I'd call it stealing.' Arietti laughed. "'She really laughed. "'But we are borrowers,' she explained. "'Like you're a... a human being, or whatever it's called. "'We're part of the house. "'You might as well say that the fire grate steals the coal from the coal scuttle.' "'But borrowers don't steal.' "'Except from human beings,' said the boy. Arietti burst out laughing. "'She laughed so much that she had to hide her face in the primrose.' Oh, dear, she gasped with tears in her eyes. You are funny. She stared upward at his puzzled face. Human beings are for borrowers, like breads for butter. (laughs) The boy was silent a while. A, A sigh of wind rustled the cherry tree and shivered among the blossoms. Well, I don't believe it, he said at last, watching the falling petals. I don't believe that's what we're for at all, and I don't believe we're dying out. And thus begins their discussion about how many borrowers they've seen versus how many humans they've seen. But I love Arietti just saying that human beings, human beings, are for borrowers, (laughs) that they exist to supply borrowers with items. It's
0: just, I love that idea of (laughs) that they could have that worldview. Yeah. It's just so funny. I know. But like, you know, it seems really silly but obviously you can, like, look at this, you know, apply this to just, like, regular humanity and how yes. we're, like, nature is here for us. I
1: know. <laughs> and, like,
0: nature compared to us is just so enormous and, yes. like, does not give a shit about us. And indifferent.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, there's just, like, a lot of really great kind of funny absurdism in this book. Yeah. And this is just, like, you know, a bit of it.
1: Yeah. And I, like, so... They do, Arietti does kind of get upset because she does get worried that the borrowers are dying out. And the boy agrees to bring a letter from her to their aunt and uncle who are living in a badger set somewhere across the field. Yes. So he's like, I'll find them. I'll bring a letter to, you, to them. It's much too far a journey for Arietti or her parents to make. So that's kind of their plan right now. Um, but we should talk about, though, like the borrowers that used to live in the house... And kind of what Arietti's experiences are with other borrowers.
0: Yeah, you know, this book, it's funny because there's like, there's not a ton of plot. Yeah. And it's not a very big book, but like a large portion of the book is just kind of like dedicated to world building to an extent. Yeah. But it's so effective at it.
1: It is. Like by
0: the end of this book, I'm like, there's so much more to this world that like, I want to read the others.
1: I know. Because
0: it's so interesting and fascinating. Yeah. So... Arrietty was told by her parents and is kind of told throughout the story more and more that there used to be other families that Mm -hmm. lived in this house, like a lot of other families and some more direct family members that used to live like within their home under the kitchen, right? Yeah. And the more she learns about them, and the more the reader learns about it, the more just like (laughs) funny and absurd it becomes.
1: I know. I love the names because they're all named after where that they live where their house is right yeah. these borrowers so we have the overmantles who <laughs> yeah. um, uh, were in the morning room mm-hmm. so because it was the morning room the only things that they had there to eat were breakfast foods <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
0: and so they were kind of like gluttonous in that way or just like only eating like the best foods yes and meanwhile the the harpsichords yes uh lived in like the The drawing the drawing room and so they were constantly like getting the last dregs of like alcohol and glasses and and afternoon
1: tea yes and only like
0: the finest things and like Homily, the mother talks about, like, their their styles, how they were, like, much more influenced by, like, high society. Yeah. Probably because they could directly see them more. Or- more
1: visitors coming for afternoon tea. And yes. And having events. And this is... I think the heyday of the borrowers in this house, right, with all these families, is also corresponding to the heyday of the house, yes. right? Because we're talking about a grand old English country house, right? Mm-hmm. Where there were parties and there were children and there were a lot of people that lived in this house, a lot of servants that kept it up. And so there were was a lot of food available. Yes. There was a lot of rooms that were open and not shut up so that there were more opportunities for borrowers to live. And so as as the house kind of declines and the family members grow up and move away and the house kind of diminishes, so do the borrower families all kind of leave.
0: Yeah, you know, they're not having parties anymore, so the um, the harpsichords who live in the drawing room don't have as much, so they have to leave. Yeah. And the families eventually start to, like, move away, even disappear. Some of them are seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, their aunt or their uncle, when he was borrowing, was seen yeah. on the mantle, and after they were seen... And then the the daughter was taken by the cat, mm-hmm. they left. Yeah. Um, but I just kind of love this like reflection on society. Yeah. And and you know how Arietti's family, you know, the clocks, yeah, they live under the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So they're more directly tied to like uh the servants yes. and like the food and like the the kind of more homely connection yes and so they feel more blue collar
1: yes yeah
0: and 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 you know the mom is always you know when she talks about these other like fancier families like you can tell that she's kind of resentful yes
1: yeah and she felt like she had to prove something and i think to uh homily's family i forget what her family was were they
0: the spat downsp- or the
1: possibly the downspouts the downspouts I don't know <laughs> um but she I think even came from a lower background than yes. even like the clock family and I think like we're saying like the they live under the clock so there's a little bit of an elegance to them but really they're underneath the kitchen like you said which is like very safe yeah you know and also like you said very like kind of servant class working class style
0: yeah but you know like we said there are other families that are kind of like on the outskirts of the home and kind of live more like lower class lives Mm -hmm. and are kind of like looked down upon almost like where homily came from and her family.
1: Yeah. But by the time we're reading this story now, everybody has moved away and the only people they know that might still be alive are the aunt and uncle in the badger set.
0: Yeah. So it is kind of like raising this question of like, are the borrowers like dying out? Yeah. And also the mom is like freaking out about possibly having to emigrate and leave the home because like, they're talking about like, oh my god, if we lived in a badger hole, like, what things could we have? Like, would we be cooking outside? Would we would we be eating bugs?
1: Yeah, how would we live? And you can tell, and she takes a lot of pleasure out of like making a nice home for them, keeping things nice for them, feeling like they they aren't living, you know, outside. Yes, and having like a proper home. So I think this is really important to Homily. Um so the thought of moving is really scary.
0: Uh, the drain pipes. Yes. I don't know if that's the her family, but that that was the name of the one family was the drain the pipes. The drain pipes. Yeah. <laughs> uh let's move back into the movie. So they were seen by the boy on their borrowing and she dropped the sugar cube on the floor of the boy's room. And the next day she's out. And this is like classic Ghibli, this scene. She's just like sitting outside. Yeah. She kind of plays with a bug briefly. Yeah. And it starts to rain. And once again, the sound design is so beautiful. Like the rain feels like heavy and loud. Yeah. Kind of like from her perspective. And she sees the boy walk up to the grate Mm -hmm. and leave the sugar cube out for her with a little note. Yeah.
1: Yeah. She doesn't take the sugar cube, and she eventually tells her parents about it, and this is where they finally have to admit to homily what happened. Yeah. And the dad is like, don't take the cube, because then he'll know that where we live and where he like he can find us. Um. So she doesn't take it at first. No. But then she is <laughs> very curious. But then she does take it. <laughs> <laughs> and she takes it.
0: <laughs> and all the notes said was, you forgot something, so like, yeah. I don't know, like... There was no additional information. No, that wasn't, it wasn't
1: like, meet me at this spot. Yeah,
0: <laughs> information that wasn't already implied by the leaving of the sugar cube.
1: Yeah, I love this part, though, when Ariety climbs up the vine to oh get to God. the boys' window on the second floor.
0: Once again, the animation in this movie, I think it's, like, so good because it's, like, inventive yeah. in a way that I can't think of another Ghibli movie where, like, they're having to not invent physics, but really think about the physics of how things move,
1: how this house is laid out.
0: Yes, and but like w- with Arietti being a small character, like climbing up leaves, right? Yeah. Like, what's the? How much do the leaves give and bend? And like,
1: mm-hmm. uh, or, the water droplets on them. Yes,
0: or like when the dad was climbing up the um, table earlier with tape on his hands. Yeah. And like the way the tape rolled off, like that animation of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Just
0: uh oh, those details are just <laughs> just chef's chef's kiss. kiss. They're so good. <laughs>
1: Arietti climbs all the way up onto the roof and ends up sneaking into the boy's window, throws the sugar cube back at him, and is like, here. Um, He hears her and kind of sees her shadow, but she won't come out um, to see him. And he's just asking who she is, if she has family. And he seems very lonely and kind of mentions, like, it must be nice to have a family Um, would you want to be friends?
0: Yeah. I really like how she's hiding behind the leaf during this whole conversation. And he never really gets to see her. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like that, you know, even though he does understand what she is.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, there's a whole incident with a crow (laughs) that sees her on the window ledge and, like, flies through the screen door. Trying
1: to attack her. And he, like,
0: kind of grabs her and, like, holds her behind his back. Yeah. And- She sneaks off when the
1: uh, housekeeper housekeeper
0: shows up and swats the bird away. And so, like, even though he even, like, (laughs) held her in his hand. He
1: didn't see her. No. Yeah. Yeah, the housekeeper is not happy about this crow in the window (laughs) incident. And she starts to get kind of suspicious about what might be going on. Like, she's seen the boy kind of looking around before and the crow acting really strange. And this is where she starts to think, like there might be something happening in this house.
0: Yeah, she even, when she gets a number for an exterminator from someone else, mentions little people, and you're like, Where's this coming from? Yeah, has she seen them? What's the story here?
1: Yeah. Uh, when Ariadne is leaving the boy's room, though, Pod sees her. Her dad yeah. sees her. And he's kind of like, you can't do this. And she she says, the boy doesn't mean us any harm. He's really nice. He just wants to be a friend. And he said... You can't do this again. This is too dangerous. And then later it tells Homily, we got to move like this. Yeah. This situation is escalating.
0: Yeah. And so now the whole, you know, need to move kind of seems to be like escalating. Yeah. With the family. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to the book. So Arietti, you know, has left the note for her aunt and uncle for the boy to find. Yeah. And it's kind of a whole like. It took her a while to get it to him, and she wasn't sure if he'd keep checking for it. Mm -hmm. And so one night she sneaks out and goes to talk to the boy.
1: Yeah, in his room.
0: And discovers that he not only got the note, but he left it for the aunt and uncle Mm -hmm. and got a reply from them.
1: Yeah, and the reply is really creepy.
0: Super weird. It's like...
1: Send Aunt Loopy back or something.
0: And it's like all misspelled. Yeah. Just because they don't know how to write <laughs> correctly, but like still.
1: Yeah. So implying that the aunt left at some point, maybe to come back to the house and has not returned. Yes. But like this is evidence for Arietti and the family that. You know, their uncle, at least, is
0: still alive. We should also mention here that this subplot gets no resolution. No. In this book.
1: <laughs> I know. We're like, what happened?
0: <laughs> I know. I need to know what happened to the ant. Uh, I'm guessing one of the other books, like, addresses it. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm guessing it dives into this mystery a little bit. But, uh, yeah, there's no, you, like, they talk about it later on, but, like, mm-hmm. you never find out any more information.
1: Yeah, Pod does... Find Arietti talking to the boy though. And then this begins this discussion when they get back to their house. And Pod is kind of I like this part in the book because Pod is being really realistic with Arietti. And and she's like, He's sweet. He just he got the letter for me. Now we know like that Uncle our uncle is safe and blah, blah, blah. And Pod is like, the boy knows where he lives. You told him where he lives. And she and he's like, and now he knows where we live. And she said, no, I never told him where we live. And he said, but in your conversation, when you talked about borrowing, you talked about being under the kitchen. Yeah. (laughs) So like he knows where we are. And just kind of that that like dawning horror, I think, of like if this was a bad person. Yeah. And she had accidentally done this, like this could be the end of their family.
0: Yeah. And they still don't know you know, he still doesn't have confidence that the boy like is a good person. Like, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I, I like in both versions that the dad is like generally like very patient with Arietti and yeah. isn't like you dumb idiot. You've no. killed us all. <laughs> yeah. He's just very like chill and just trying to like explain the situation to her.
1: Yeah. Um, in the movie at this time we get a little bit of an interlude where Sean, the boy is at dinner with his aunt and the housekeeper and, And the conversation turns to the little people.
0: Yes. So apparently the aunt, uh, uh, Sean's grandfather. Yes. His aunt's father. And
1: his mom's father.
0: And his mom's, yeah. Who, I guess this was his house. This was kind of a lot of information and I like kind of struggled with it watching it. I was like, okay, so this used to be the, at first I thought they were talking about Sean's dad. Yeah. Also Sean mentions here that his parents are getting divorced. Yeah. And like... (laughs) He's also sick and needs heart surgery, and I'm like, this is a lot, and, yeah. and we never come back to the divorce or, like, no. why it's happening, so... <laughs>
1: and why his mom just dumped him at his aunt's yeah. house? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm like, okay, this is... I, I feel like I need more information, but... But, okay. Uh, But so, yeah, that's mentioned here, and then we get into the grandfather, who mm-hmm. whose house this was, and how he thought he saw a little person once and believed that they lived in the house. Yeah. So he built... His own little dollhouse, like specifically for them. Mm-hmm. It has like a functioning kitchen in it,
1: <laughs> an oven that works. Yes. The electric lights, uh-huh. this whole thing. And we've seen this dollhouse before because um, Pod and Arietti actually come in through it at one point when they're borrowing. And Pod tells Arietti, This stuff is not for borrowing. Yeah. Like, they would notice if we took any of this stuff.
0: Which is kind of interesting and different than the book. Because in the book, they do take stuff that's, like, in dollhouses or... Like a, like a doll's tea set, like that kind of stuff that, you know, there's no
1: kids there anymore. Yeah. And
0: the aunt is bedridden Mm -hmm. and it's not really like valuable stuff. Yeah. So they are kind of, they do have discretion, Yeah, but they are more willing to take stuff if they don't think anyone's really going to notice.
1: Yeah, exactly. But in the,
0: the film, the dad kind of makes it a moral stance and kind of says like, we don't take anything that like we don't absolutely need Mm -hmm. essentially. And especially stuff that they might notice is gone. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and the aunt kind of implies that like the dad, her dad, and Sean's mom, like always believed that the little people would come and use the dollhouse, and that they were like devastated when nobody came. And I'm like, okay, like that's a lot. Maybe like get over yourselves a little bit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot to this. Yeah. Uh, Also, we should mention that in the book, the aunt who is bedridden gets kind of drunk on wine every night. Yeah. And Pod the dad actually goes and like hangs Hangs out. out. with her? Yeah, hangs out with her and talks to her. (laughs) Because she believes like he comes out of like the decanter for the wine and that she's just, he's just like. Hallucinating? Yeah, a figment of her imagination. But like they'll just hang out and chat. And it's like almost like an escape for the dad. I know,
1: I'm like, is this his like side piece? Like he goes (laughs) up and hangs out when he's tired of listening to homily like complain.
0: It's just this like really funny dynamic and funny how you know for as much as pod is like humans are dangerous like you have yeah to be like he's like
1: he has all these exceptions
0: yeah but he's like she's chill she's drunk like she's just having a good time
1: yeah exactly
0: but in the film we also get another portion here where the dad was out he's trying to like figure out a path For where they're going to emigrate to. Yeah. And he twisted his ankle and was rescued by another borrower.
1: Yes. Young Spiller. Uh, And if you've read the borrower stories, uh, you know that Spiller is actually a character that is introduced in the second borrower's book, The Borrowers of Field. Spiller is kind of like a wild borrower. He was separated from his family at some point so essentially had to raise himself yeah. just and he lives outside. He's wild because he doesn't live in a house. He just lives out in nature. Yeah. The movie and I think the book describes him that way too it's been a long time since I've read it but like kind of in in animal skins right very like
0: indigenous very
1: indigenous feeling which I don't love (laughs) but like there's a other book with like gypsy characters in it too so like this is the 50s in England not that the US is any better but this is what we're dealing with people
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think the at least the way Ghibli kind of illustrates him like obviously there's indigenous persons like connections but it doesn't feel like it It's like he doesn't have a feather sticking out of his head or anything. There's like two on the nose. No, but he
1: does speak like in a very like English as a second language
0: type thing. Yeah. It doesn't feel like an accent, though. Yeah. It doesn't feel like he's doing a specific kind of indigenous accent. Yeah. I think they ride the line enough that I think it's okay.
1: Yeah. I'm just pointing out I think it's a little problematic In both versions, yeah, yeah, but we don't actually get Spiller in in this book at all. So this is sort of like the movie taking from a later book and adding this,
0: which is interesting. And once again, I totally get why like Ghibli would like this character, yeah, because Miyazaki wrote the screenplay for this, even though he didn't uh, direct this film. Yeah, he wrote the screenplay, and like this is a very kind of typical Miyazaki character. I know
1: this feels like um, Princess Mononoke. Yes.
0: Or even Nausicaa. Someone who's like very like a part of nature and like understands it.
1: Raised by animals out there in the wild. You know, Uh, I love Spiller though, because um, he's like, Oh, I'm not going to stay. This is weird. And then, Homie's like, Arietti. why don't you ask Spiller to stay? And He's like, oh yeah, why don't you stay? And he's like, um, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, she like takes her hair down and he's just like super into he's her. He's just
1: like, woman. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but he also like doesn't know what to do and yeah. once again a typical Ghibli man. Yeah. Like a young kid who's like into a girl but like has no idea.
1: I know. This is like uh, My Neighbor Totoro boy. Yes. Yeah, yes. where he like is trying to like be, he's like kind of mean to her but is also super into her but is mostly just quiet and awkward
0: <laughs> I, I do like spiller and the dad says that spiller has like a teapot that he can take them down the river in yeah so this
1: is their path to getting out of the house
0: yeah so around here we get uh, an incident that happens in book and movie mm-hmm. very similarly where one day they're just hanging out at home and <laughs> Chilling.
1: Yeah, it's nighttime actually.
0: It's nighttime. I don't think it is in the in the film.
1: Oh, it's not. In the yeah. Film. Okay. But
0: but in the book it is. Yeah. Yeah. In the book because they're they're in bed. And then suddenly there's like an earthquake essentially. And the entire roof of their <laughs> house is ripped off. <laughs> and there's the fucking boy.
1: Yes. And he's come to bring them furniture. Um in the movie, he just takes that whole kitchen out of that fancy dollhouse with the working oven yes. and everything and just puts it in there. I love uh in the movie when uh Homily goes to faint and he puts like the fancy couch <laughs> underneath her <laughs> right behind her.
0: <laughs> the thing that was like in the book or I'm sorry well, so, so in the movie, it's, like, very destructive. Yeah. Like, he rips away an entire wall of their house to, like, put the kitchen there. Yeah. And, like, he doesn't say anything. And it's almost, like, creepy. And he it does, is. doesn't even, like, consider the fact that he's, like, destroying their home doing I know. this. know, yeah. He just, like, puts the whole kitchen there and, like, the little couch and then just, like, leaves. Yeah. And it's weird, too, because this changes nothing for anyone. Like, in the story, they're just, like, Okay, we were going to leave before. So I guess it doesn't matter. And now we're definitely going to leave because yeah. this was like a huge invasion of our privacy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It is sort of like an awkward encounter.
0: Yeah, he it's just this thing that he does and doesn't really affect the story really at all.
1: Yeah, in the book, um, it's more... Of, like, a situation where they're talking back and forth, right? Yeah. So he pulls the roof off, everybody's like, <gasps> like, freaking out and everything. And then he, like, puts down a chair and, like, a dresser. So it's just a couple things, right? Yes. And hom-
0: and, he, and he's, like, talking to yeah.
1: them. Yeah. And he's like, it's, I brought these yeah. for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And Homily is like, Ooh. Cause all this stuff in a dollhouse that they didn't even know existed and it's like all really nice.
1: Yeah.
0: And she's like, What else can you get for us? Mm -hmm. And so it begins this like uh kind of stretch of time where the boy is like taking stuff from the dollhouse and then also beginning to take things other things from around the house. And he returns each night, he lifts up the same floorboard. So like it' it's a recurring thing. He's not like destroying the house. No. he just lifts up a floorboard and like leaves these things for them. Mm-hmm. And homily become becomes like a little mad with power. <laughs>
1: Yeah, she's constantly rearranging their house and asking Pod <laughs> to help her move things and Pod is like very tired. I He's love like that. I just want to go to bed. Um are, it also tells us that Arietti at this time is going to hang out with the boy and she's reading to him actually. Oh yeah, yeah. Which is really sweet. So, we're led to assume that a lot of time passes here. We don't know how long, um, because the book definitely just like skips ahead. But it is sort of like a peaceful and a golden age, as they say. Yeah,
0: because the dad never imagined a time of borrowing like this. Yeah. I think the book says. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, though, because they begin to take nicer and nicer items, eventually the housekeeper begins to notice these disappearances. Yeah. And becomes suspicious and is like trying to figure out Who's taking things. Mm -hmm. She even suspects the aunt at one point. She's like, is she fucking with me? (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I know (laughs) too. I do too. But so the housekeeper at this point is trying to figure out what's going on in the book.
1: Yeah. So let's go into the movie and kind of take us through the end of the movie plot Yeah, because
0: things kind of escalate at this point.
1: Yeah. The housekeeper in the movie who has been suspicious for quite some time. We don't really know why.
0: Yeah, I think... (laughs) Maybe she believed the grandfather that little people lived here and now she's finally seeing evidence of it.
1: Yeah, she notices the boy has been going into a closet, right? Yes. And she also notices, like, uh, a crowbar that is hanging out there. And so she goes into the closet, pulls up this—it's actually just a hinged door? It's like a trap
0: door. A trap
1: door, and I'm like— I don't think that was the best place to put your house. Yeah,
0: right underneath there. <laughs> I, I, I thought the same thing.
1: Um, but she pulls it up and then sees their little brick house pulls off the roof and uh, notices Homily in the house. Yes,
0: and she's super creepy. And I just want to say too that like the way Ghibli is able to capture the scale yeah. of both like the regular world and the small world is like so good. Like when the roof gets ripped off in both scenes, it feels like. A real house roof getting ripped off. Yeah, and, like, and what that
1: would feel like, and
0: dust and loudness, and like it kind of being a terrifying experience. And yeah, like, and once in, like and like animation being so, I feel like I said that weird animation being so suitable for that kind of story. Yeah, but so the the housekeeper snatches Homily, puts yeah. her in a jar, and hides that jar in. <laughs> A pantry. In a pantry. Yeah. And I kind of like, it feels like it's setting up like a, uh, a heist. Yes. In a way, it's like, okay, here's the situation. <laughs> is in this jar. The jar's on the fourth shelf in this like, yeah. cupboard. how will they find her? How will they get her?
1: <laughs> yeah. And while this is happening, Arietti is actually talking to the boy outside in the garden. She goes up to him. She finally lets him see her. Yes. And um, they're kind of having this discussion here, you know, about, that they have to move soon, and he's sad about that, and then he tells her about his heart surgery that's happening soon. This is a very um, weird scene, Ian. I wanted Um, it to be wholesome, but it was just kind of, like, strange. I
0: completely agree. First off, it starts (laughs) with her revealing herself to him, and his first thing is, he says oh my god, like, you're beautiful. Yeah. Like, she's a tiny person. You're a different species. Like, I don't think I would, like, lead with that. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that would be the first thing that, like, came to mind.
1: Yeah, and then he's talking about... This is where that conversation of the book about possibly the humans or the borrowers dying out comes in. Yeah. But it's handled weirdly.
0: Yeah, he is, like, creepily just, like, in a monotone, half-smiling, dead-eyed expression <laughs> explaining, like...
1: Everybody has to yeah, die sometimes. Which is, like,
0: you're probably sad because you're, like, the only ones, you're the only borrowers left, right? I mean, yeah. like, you've never seen any others other than one other person, right? <laughs> Also like we all have to die sometime. And I'm like, <laughs> what's happening? Dude. <laughs> you're like I get you have this surgery and you're yeah. like you've got a lot going on, but I just I don't like his vibes.
1: Yeah, and this is where Arietti is kind of like, no, you know, we have each other and we'll always fight and we'll always survive and she's very strong as opposed to his kind of like nihil like nihilistic tendencies, you know?
0: Yeah, and I don't like First of all, Ghibli loves a sick person. Yeah. They will put a sick person in, like, every movie that they have. <laughs> and I get the desire to want to make him, like, a world-weary kind yeah. of nihilist in terms of, like, yeah, he's the kid who has to go through, like, all this, like, medical stuff. And, like, that would, like, yeah. kind of age you to a degree. But also, I'm like, he's still really young. Yeah. And I wish some of that energy was applied to his character like what we see in the book. Yeah. Like him kind of like bickering yes. with Arietti and kind of just being
1: like a kid. Yeah, being a child. Yeah. Uh
0: instead of just like a creepy
1: man child, <laughs> <laughs> an old man in a child's body with
0: dead eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Something about his eyes just not good. Vacant.
1: Yeah. Uh Arietti ends up leaving and going back to her house only to find that her mom has been kidnapped. And I have one question here Ian. Where's Pod? Where is Pod? Yeah. From here until, like, the end when they're leaving, we don't see Pod.
0: Was there a mention of him going to be gone again? No, no. I I didn't hear one. I mean, maybe it's supposed to be implied that he's out looking for more paths. Yeah. But, like, yeah, you're like, okay, he wasn't in the house. Where is he? And he's just, like, and Arrietty's never, like. Never
1: mentions him. Or
0: looking for him. No. Yeah, it felt like such a weird omission that, like, isn't. Address Well, because
1: she was like, my mom's missing, but the dad wasn't there, but she doesn't say my dad's also missing. No. So.
0: Yeah, it's, it's bizarre. It's like a weird choice.
1: <laughs> yeah. She goes back to Sean. Um, she finds him in his second floor bedroom this time. Um, and she's like, My mom's missing, and he's like, I'll help you. And this is where they kind of join forces. Like, we see a very inspiring shot of her on his shoulder. Yeah. They're like gonna take down the world, and they're like, Oh, the door's locked. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and at first I was like, Oh, Arietti's gonna like sneak under the door and unlock yeah. the door. And the boy's like, No, I'm gonna climb out onto the roof. <laughs> and I'm like, No. <laughs> Because he wants to, like, go through the window of the room next door. Yeah. And this is where they encounter, like, oh, the window's locked, but Ariadne's able to, like, sneak in. Mm -hmm. I kind of like this, like, joining of forces. Yeah. And, like, watching her in action, like, scale the curtains and, Mm -hmm. like, unlock the window. And in this adventure, you do see the boy kind of... Be a little bit more lively. Yeah. A little bit he more. He starts
1: running and his heart is beating really fast. And you're like, oh, my God, is he going to die? Please stop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> be happy, but like not too happy.
1: Yeah. Don't run too hard.
0: <laughs> uh, so they, you know, go down to the kitchen where the housekeeper is like shocked that he's not locked in his room. Because she
1: locked him in there while she's calling the exterminator. Yes.
0: Yes. And he notices a look she gives towards the pantry, which clues him into the fact that that must be where Homily is being kept. Yeah. And he kind of signals to Arrietty that. He
1: distracts the housekeeper. Arietti goes into the pantry to free her mom.
0: Yes. And it's kind of a whole rescue mission. Mm-hmm. And
1: Arietti uses her pin.
0: She uses the pin. Finally. <laughs> yes. It's not to stab a rat to death, which I'm no. very sad about. But- <laughs> and
1: bathe in its blood.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll take what I can get, though. Yeah, but, like, the exterminators are still coming, and it's still kind of, like, Mm -hmm. there's still a tension, kind of.
1: Yeah, Ariadne and her mom end up escaping, and then Sean, at this point, actually goes and kind of destroys the evidence because the exterminators are coming. So what he does, we, we see this later, he kind of wrecks their whole house, Yeah, which, again, I'm like... So Pod is not there, right? Like we know that he's not in the house when you just like cave yeah, it in. The boy's
0: just stomping on it, then he sees a little arm sticking out. He's like, uh oh.
1: So he kind of destroys the house so it doesn't look like there's an actual house of people underneath this floor situation. He takes the kitchen that he put in there and all that furniture and he puts it back in the dollhouse. And then he gets in bed and acts like he wasn't doing anything. He's
0: just too sick to like, he's like get up. <coughs> uh <laughs> The housekeeper in trying to like prove the existence <laughs> of little people to the exterminators and to the ant yeah. is like running around and is <laughs> screaming. like screaming, "Oh my god! This the house is gone! What happened? Like, Oh, where's my
1: tiny lady?
0: Where's my tiny lady? She's like, <laughs> yeah, just like losing her mind." Yeah. And it's so funny because you know it, it it's played for laughs and like even though the ant was kind of the antagonist, like or the not the ant, the housekeeper. You're still kind of able to laugh with slash at her at this point. Yeah. The aunt didn't seem to believe anything she was saying. Yeah. But then she goes upstairs. To the dollhouse. To the dollhouse. Looks in the kitchen notices, like, smells the teapot and looks inside and notices, like, a tiny tea leaf yeah. in the teapot. And she goes, oh, my God, my my father was right. Little people do exist. <laughs> and I'm like, that's all the evidence you needed? <laughs> I'm like, the, 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 the Sh- boy. Sean could have put that there. <laughs> yeah. But she's, and I'm like, also, your housekeeper thinks she's losing her mind. And you're
1: happy to let her believe that? Yeah, if
0: you, like, believe her, you should tell her. Also,
1: why did you never try to stop the housekeeper from, like, Calling the exterminators and causing all this craziness? I
0: like there's just like <laughs> it's such a weird thing to include that yeah. the aunt suddenly believes. Yeah. But meanwhile, all this other stuff with the housekeeper's going on.
1: I know. I thought it was strange.
0: I, I agree.
1: Uh Arietti, Pod, and Homily at this point have their packs of stuff. They're going it's nighttime. They're leaving through the garden, and they're meeting Spiller down by a river, and they're going to take his tea kettle boat down where there is there are other borrower families, possibly um, their relatives. And Sean is able to say a final goodbye to Arietti, the cat. Who so far has been kind of an antagonist to Arietti, but very sweet to Sean and seems like a nice cat overall. Decides to be sweet and lead Sean to where Arietti is, so they can make a final goodbye.
0: I loved this part with the cat. Me too. I know. Cat being good. Yeah. So Arietti and uh, Sean get to say a final goodbye once again. Like it's kind of. Romantic, yeah, (laughs) but just like even just overly sentimental in a way that doesn't quite feel earned.
1: Yeah, he's very much like, My heart is strong now because you're in it, you've inspired me to like not want to die. Yeah, um, and I'm
0: like, You two haven't spent a lot of time together,
1: yeah, and I know you're lonely, but like. There's got to be more in your life than this, like...
0: Yeah, like, their, their parting feels, like, really dramatic and, like, kind of, like, like melodramatic to the point where... And
1: sad. Ariadne's crying.
0: Yeah, and she, like, gives him... And, like, I'm fine with, like, the token, like, yeah. her giving him the hairpin, but, like, it should be a little bit more, like... Hey, this was fun, you know. Like, yeah. I hope everything goes well for you. Like,
1: take care.
0: Thank you for helping. I'll me. always remember
1: you. Yeah, yeah. Keep
0: it a little light.
1: Yeah, like two people meeting at summer camp. You'll probably never see them again. You know, you're like <laughs> yeah. that was fun. Okay. <laughs>
0: but yeah, his whole like, my heart is strong because you're in it. I'm like, ah, that's I too don't much. Like it. Yeah, too much. Could be
1: the translation. Um, that's it's always true. a possibility. I was
0: also wondering with the boy if, um, like, the voice acting. Yeah, was not great or could have been done better. We actually found out there's a British dubbing that has Tom Holland as the boy and Sir Ronan, yeah, as Arietti. Ar- I know, and then uh, Olivia Coleman and uh, Mark Strong as the parents. And I'm like, what a stellar! I
1: know. I want to watch that. I, I do too. <laughs> I'm like,
0: why did we have to watch this Disney dubbed one? Yeah. No offense to Will or not an Amy Poehler, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I wonder if. The boy, I don't think anyone anything would have fixed his dead eye stare. But (laughs) But I think the voice could have been. I think the voice could have been a lot better.
1: Yeah. So that's the end of the movie. Shall we go back to the book now?
0: I just want to say that I love the end credits with the tea kettle.
1: Oh yes, them traveling. Yeah,
0: floating down river. Yeah. Very quaint. Very cute. It is very. And we get like a little moment of Spiller still being like really into (laughs) Ariadne. (laughs) Which I just love. (laughs) I love a Ghibli boy who's in love but does not know how to handle it. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, let's, uh, let's go to the book.
1: Yeah, so we already talked about how the housekeeper was getting suspicious. She's noticing items in the house that are going missing, right? And this is because... Homily and the boy and the situation are kind of like, it's getting carried away, right?
0: And just to reiterate, I love that the boy bringing them things has led to this escalation that led to the housekeeper. Yes. Ultimately discovering Unlike
1: them. Unlike in the movie where she's just suspicious already. Yeah,
0: and the boy bringing the... I mean, I guess he left hints at where they were because yeah. he brought them but the she'd kitchen already called
1: the exterminator at that. that's point. It, it feels
0: like much less connected yeah and i think i love thematically what happens more in the book
1: yeah so mrs driver who's the housekeeper actually sets an alarm at night yeah so she can kind of sneak around because she thinks it's happening at night she wakes up in the middle of the night and hears a noise in the kitchen and so it goes down And she can tell when she gets there that, like, someone has just left, right? Yeah. And she sees, like, an item on the floor and also, like, a sliver of light underneath the Mm -hmm. floorboards. And that's, of course, um, the clock family. And she ends up pulling back the floorboards. The item near the stove is, like, a little chair or something.
0: Yeah. And she sees like a flash of like people and I yeah. love this because she's like not, it's in
1: her perspective at this point
0: yes and she's like not even sure what she saw like yeah. she thinks it's like little people but like she thought there were like hundreds, hundreds, of, them. hundreds of them instead <laughs> of just three and she's like up on the table like screaming yeah Uh the groundskeeper ends up like forcing his way into the kitchen to check on her yeah and he checks out the hole and is like I don't know it looks like a bunch of garbage and is kind of just kicking it around and there's like f-
1: doll furniture he's like the boys probably like made a nest for like his weasel that he's like convinced that this boy has <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> and, and so he's not convinced but the the housekeeper is like I'm calling an exterminator we're like getting to the bottom of this
1: yeah meanwhile we go to the boys perspective And he's upstairs in his room, and he's really scared. He had just left the kitchen because he heard the housekeeper coming. He waits a long time to make sure nobody's awake, and then he sneaks back down to the kitchen. And he's really worried about the borrowers. He opens the floorboard back up, and they're down there, and they're like, she saw us. We have to move now. What are we going to do? And the boy is very much like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean for this to happen. How can I help you? I'll help you get out. Like, I can bring stuff wherever you go, like, I can bring you supplies. They kind of start forming this plan to to leave and for the boy to help them leave when the housekeeper comes back.
0: Yes, she comes back into the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And the way it's described, the boy, like, looks away from the borrowers for, like, two seconds, and when he looks back, they're gone. Yeah. And we're told, and we kind of, like, pull back, right, out mm-hmm. of the story a bit, back to Kate. And Mrs. May. Mrs. Yeah. May telling the story. And she kinda goes like, and that's the end. Yeah. <laughs> and Kate's like, What? And she's like, That's the last time she he, or saw he ever saw the borrowers yeah. in that moment. And Kate's like, That can't be the end of the story. Yeah. And Mrs. May is like, well, I mean, it kind of is, but it also isn't. Mm -hmm. And so then she kind of explains further from the boy's perspective what happened after that.
1: Yeah. The boy was taken up to his room, locked in his room for days, right? This woman is just bringing him his meals. I'm like, is she, he's shitting in a bucket? Like what's the situation (laughs) here? Um, But he's locked in his room. He's going to be going back to India soon. So he doesn't have a lot of time left. And. The housekeeper keeps telling him, like, "Oh, the exterminator's coming, and I'm gonna like destroy them. Yes. I want to. Fu- I want to fucking murder them. Like, <laughs> <laughs>
0: they're mine. Yeah, <laughs> I'll nail their carcasses to the wall. Yeah, she's like a hundred percent committed. Yeah, uh, the exterminator comes. I forget how the boy escapes from his room.
1: Well, it's the day that he's leaving, so they let
0: him out. That's right. Yes, yeah. uh, his suitcases are packed at the door and the exterminator is there and the exterminator starts like flooding under the floorboards of the kitchen with like gas. Yeah. And it's like really intense. Mm-hmm. They've also- already plugged
1: up their hole in um underneath the clock. Like yes. they found it so they can't escape mm-hmm. and the kitchen is being watched constantly. So they can't get out that way. Um, So they're, the borrowers, as far as we know, are trapped underneath. Yeah. In the kitchen, um, and in this house, and then the poisonous gas is coming in.
0: So the boy steals a pickaxe. Yeah. Runs outside.
1: Well, first he tries to um break through the hole under the cloth. Oh
0: god, that's right. He's like hacking away yeah. at the wall.
1: Yeah, but it's been like cemented in.
0: Yes. So he can't do anything. Mm -hmm. So then he runs outside and manages to pry the grate off of uh, kind of that sub-basement area. And he disposes of the pickaxe, which I think that's alluding to like another book. I know. There's like a mention of like, oh. It would cause trouble later. That pickaxe caused a whole lot of trouble later. But like, like, when? We're never told. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But he never sees them escape. Yeah. But- He hopes that they did. Yeah. And Mrs. May, who... I did find it a little confusing between, like, who was speaking when. Yeah. Because you're getting, like, dialogue within the story and then Mrs. May speaking and Kate speaking, but Mm -hmm. Mrs. May essentially saying that, like, I believed that they escaped and they went on to live in the badger hole with, like, the aunt and uncle and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, and she even mentions that uh, one summer later when she goes there as a child to visit, she kind of looks for the borrowers. Yeah. Uh, based on what her brother told her and the stories that he told about this little family, she brings, like, supplies out to, like, the field near the badger set.
0: Yeah, like coffee and yeah. uh, sugar and... Things all th- like that. Yeah, and, and leaves them for the borrowers. Mm-hmm. And she says they were gone the next day, but she's, like, also, like, anyone could have come by and, and taken them.
1: Yeah, she also claims that she could smell cooking,
0: Oh, near yeah. the badger
1: set, which I love this idea that that the borrowers are cooking nearby. And she also found a book that possibly was Arietti's diary or one of Arietti's books that she wrote in.
0: Yeah, and uh Kate was asking about it and and Mrs. May laughs and says like the only weird thing was that the way the E's were written. Yeah. They were like with like kind of a swoop line through mm-hmm. them. And she says just like how my brother used to write his E's.
1: Yeah. So
0: implying that it was very possibly the brother who...
1: Made up the story? Who,
0: yeah, who wrote this little diary. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like feeding into his own story that was like going on.
1: Yeah, and that's the that's the end of the story. That's
0: like, yeah, literally the last thing said.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it, it it is kind of like a very melancholy, kind of sad ending that, I like, know. I wasn't expecting. You
1: don't actually get proof that they escaped.
0: No. Or that the story's even real. Yeah. And, like, even the whole framing convention is kind of sad because, like, as Missus May is explaining the story and like her brother, she's like, "Yeah, my brother, he died in in the in great the war, in the war, <laughs> uh, as a general. He died a hero's death, is what they say." Oh
1: my god! But anyway,
0: when he was a kid, so I know you're I like, like, like,
1: "Whoa!" Oh my
0: god! This this boy I'm reading about this whole story dies in the war later.
1: Yeah. It,
0: there's kind of this like, um, I don't like I don't say melancholy, but kind of this yeah. dose of reality mm-hmm. to the whole story that, for as whimsical as it is. Like, it was maybe the fantasy of a kid who was sick one summer and then later died in a war. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just kind of unexpected, but I really liked it.
1: Yeah, but still magical, right? Yeah. Yeah. So which one's better?
0: Uh, Yeah, I was kind of grappling with this a lot today after finishing the book. I really love, for the most part, what Ghibli did with this story. Yeah. Like, the details. I mean, their animation is always like,
1: uh, superb, so so good amazing yeah.
0: like they really brought this story to life it's pretty faithful yeah I think they made some good tweaks I think there were some things that could have been done better yeah um but like they still put their own spin on it like it being more tied to like nature in a yeah. lot of ways however the dynamic with the boy
1: I don't like it at yeah, all
0: yeah like it's clearly meant to be like the heart of the story, but it's not. <laughs> it doesn't
1: sell it. No. You know, and it's something that we haven't talked about. We talked about the sound design a little bit of this movie, but the score is super overpowering.
0: It is. And, you know, I was wondering, I'm like, is this just like a streaming thing? Is the mix for the yeah. streaming bad? Um,
1: But it felt more like orchestral than a lot of Ghibli. Not orchestral is the wrong word.
0: Um. Like music, like songs.
1: Yeah, it felt more like a song I, instead of like background music. Well, and
0: I think it is because I, I read on IMDb that like uh, the director for this, there's a French singer that he like heard her last album and really liked her and got her to score it. Oh. And I think she did some of the singing as well, I'm oh, guessing. You know,
1: because there's actually usually like, I don't know if it, they have one composer who does like almost every Jubilee film. Yeah. Joe... Hay- Hayashi, I think?
0: Okay, yeah, no, this was, like, I think a French woman okay. who, who scored That's the probably film.
1: why it feels so wrong to me.
0: Yeah, it does <laughs> feel very... And I mean, like, maybe you're just, like... Maybe we're too used to a certain Ghibli aesthetic that it's hard to accept anything else, but it also was very distracting at points, I thought. Yeah. Um. So, that being said, I, I do think I prefer the book. The book just, like... Even though I loved seeing a lot of this in the film, mm-hmm. the book still does a great job of explaining a lot of like these fun little details. Yeah. And I also just love so much of the lore. Yes. In the book.
1: And the characters, right? Because Arietti is kind of stuck up, right? Yes. And annoying. Like and <laughs> yeah. and the boy is kind of mean sometimes. Like and and they have this connection and he really does try to help them and he cares for them, but it doesn't feel like he is now gonna live through a heart surgery because of her you know yes yeah
0: (laughs) and you know we've talked a lot about like ghibli character tropes yeah and there are some amazing characters in ghibli films oh yeah but some of them i do think kind of come across as flat Mm -hmm. um in various movies when like Maybe they don't have enough personality or maybe if the voice acting isn't like Yeah quite up to And that can the job. be
1: like a dubbing problem. Yes. Yeah. But
0: I do feel like some of the characters like Arietti and the boy kind of just come across as being a little bland. Yeah. And, you know, Could have done with some more characterization, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I really love the book. I liked getting to read this story again. Honestly, it's just such a perfect story for children, right? Because, like, the idea of little people with, like, little tiny things, it's, like, (laughs) very much like the dollhouse, right? Because kids are all about having tiny furniture for their toys, right? And this is something that, like, my sister and I, we used to create, like, houses and basically, like, sets, Right? Like, ha- like beds and, you know, mm-hmm. nightstands and, like, this whole kind of set for our Beanie Babies. We had Barbie furniture. We had, like, our Raggedy Ann dolls that we would play with and, like... I don't know, we just were always kind of repurposing materials and using them in our play. And this feels very much like what borrowers do naturally.
0: Well, I think there's an inherent fascination with children in that because, I mean, as a child, yeah. everything is too big for you. yeah, And so this idea of, like, scale mm-hmm. and, like... Tiny things. Liking smaller things and, like, that idea of being, like, even smaller. I yeah. think I think there's, like, an inherent fascination there. Yeah. And I love that, you know... It is, on the surface, like, just a very great idea for a children's story. And that was, like, you know, that uh, elevator pitch is the only thing I knew about it going into it. Yeah. So I was really shocked by just how much thought and detail there was in it with, like, this, like, kind of class...
1: idea of like where
0: the borrowers (laughs) lived in the house determined like their class status and uh (laughs) even like the narrative convention of how the story is told feels Mm -hmm. like very mature for like a children's book yeah a lot of elements that surprised me with how like thoughtful and interesting and kind of detail focused they were
1: yeah so it's gonna be book for both of us it is let's do lightning round yeah
0: let's get into lightning we don't have too much for lightning around this episode, but I do want to say I loved the uh, pulley system that yeah. uh, Pod had set up within the walls, mm-hmm. which like in makes, the movie, in the in the film, yes, because that makes so much sense. Like if you do need to go up to the second floor of the house, yeah, like going up the stairs would be so. Tiring that mm-hmm. to have like a little like weighted pulley system to like zip you up to the second floor was like just really cool, yeah.
1: And I love the part where like Arietti's going up and he like catches her before she can like hit the gears at <laughs> oh, the end, yeah. Just again, those really cool details that make you feel like you're actually seeing like this has been thought out, right? Like, what would they make,
0: yes, to do this, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, So I just want to read this part at the end, and this is very much in the Mrs. May and Kate part where they're trying to figure out what happened to the borrowers at the end because it's sort of a mystery, right? Mm -hmm. We don't actually know what for sure happened to them. So Kate and Mrs. May specifically is just trying to, like, theorize, like, what they did, where they ended up. And here's part of what she's saying to Kate. So Kate is saying, what did they eat? Did they eat caterpillars, do you think? Oh, goodness, child, of course they didn't. They had a wonderful life, all that Arietti had ever dreamed of. They could live very well. Badger's sets are almost like villages, full of passages and chambers and storehouses. They could gather hazelnuts and beech nuts and chestnuts. They could gather corn, which they could store and grind into flour, just as humans do. It was all there for them. They didn't even have to plant it. They had honey. They could make elderflower tea and lime tea. They had hips and haws and blackberries and sloes and wild strawberries. The boys could fish in the stream, and a minnow to them would be as big as a mackerel is to you. They had bird's eggs, any amount of them, for custards and cake and omelets. You see, they would know where to look for things. And they had greens and salads, of course. Think of a salad made of those tender shoots of young hawthorn, bread and cheese we used to call it, with sorrel and dandelion and a sprinkling of thyme and wild garlic. Homily was a good cook, remember? It wasn't for nothing that the clocks had lived under the kitchen. So I'm skipping ahead a little bit. And Mrs. May said, "'Do you know what I think?' said Mrs. May. She laid down her work and leaned forward a little. "'I think that they didn't live in the Badger set at all. I think they used it, with all its passages and storerooms, as a great honeycomb of an entrance hall. None but they would know the secret way through the tunnels, which led at last to their home.' Borrowers love passages, and they love gates, and they love to live a long way from their own front doors. Where would they live, then? I was wondering, said Mrs. May, about the gas pipe. Oh, yes, cried Kate, I see what you mean. The soil's all soft and sandy up there. I think they'd go right through the badger set and dig out a circular chamber, chamber level with the gas pipe. And off this chamber, all around it, there'd be little rooms like cabins. And I think, said Mrs. May, that they bore three little pinholes in the gas pipe— One would be so tiny that you could hardly see it and that one would always be a light. The other two would have stoppers in them, which when they wanted to light the gas, they would pull out. They would light the bigger ones from the small burner. That's where they cook and that's what would give them light. So kind of this like, (laughs) kind of creating this mythology almost yes. and being like what would they do and and just kind of bringing you in on like the creation of this them, a little bit yeah
0: them getting carried away with the imagining of like yeah. how they would survive and how they would have those like homely touches you mm-hmm. know to their environment yeah um, yeah i i really loved that ending too yeah uh Yeah, so that's that's the end of the episode. Thank
1: you so much for listening. This was such a fun one to do. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And patrons, look out for the upcoming bonus episode. On uh, the other Borrower movie, which we'll be watching soon. I'm going to
0: say it. I hope it's bad. (laughs) Like, I kind of hope it's, like, awful. It's kind of fun, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, If you would like to listen, as Adina said, you can become a patron at any tier for access to that and all of our bonus episodes. We're almost at 50 at this point. Woo-woo! Uh, get access to uh, monthly schedules and our Discord server as well. And,
1: of course, episode suggestions, right? This is a patron-requested episode, so if you would like us to do an episode, something you've been dying to hear us discuss, um, consider becoming a patron. And if you're not able to become a patron, it would really help for uh, you to leave a review or star rating for us on Apple Podcasts. That really helps other people find our podcast and listen to it.
0: Yes, uh, find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the social medias. You can find all those links at CoveredCredits.com.
1: And thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.